Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. What's up, Carmelita? Hello. Ooh, you're here. You might recognize friend of the podcast, Carmelita. She shared some of her growing up story way back on episode six, Ground Control, and more recent life events on episode 64, The Love Story. But today she's arrived in her all-black uniform, wisps of blue in her black hair, to talk about something that did not come up in those stories, her spirituality. My current practice is is something that I, I keep pretty personal. Because at this point, I kind of consider myself as practicing folk Catholicism. Sure. Shout out to my friend Shauna for giving me the words to describe it. As you've heard this year on the show, spirituality is a thing in our lives that shifts and morphs until it settles in and becomes our own. And then it changes some more. Deciding to come back to faith on my own terms because it was really about my need, my personal need to connect to something spiritually as part of how I take care of myself to deal with my alcoholism and all of these really like life and death things. Like having some kind of spirituality became a life and death thing for me. So Carmelita is going to share her journey from her Mexican-American Catholic roots to an understanding of what she needs and wants out of a spiritual practice. When I was a kid, I didn't know a lot of Protestants, because Salinas, and (laughs) very predominantly Mexican community, and we also have a pretty sizable Filipino community, also Catholic. Yeah. I don't think I had actually, like, talked to anyone about the fact that they were Protestant until I was almost out of high school. Wow. Because we've got a Protestant and a Catholic in the podcast lounge, I have lots of questions for her about the history and practices of Catholicism. So we're going to get into that too. But I started with what her thoughts were about the Not the Same series, featuring stories of recovering evangelicals. And I think that her response did reveal some aspects of her spirituality as a thinker, not a feeler. I mean, they were all... Each and every episode was so interesting. Really cool to hear people kind of put it all on the table and lay it bare. Applause to you for giving people a platform to do that, like a safe place to talk mm-hmm. about this stuff. Because mm-hmm. there's there's not a lot of places that feel open and welcoming to just have that conversation. You're going to offend somebody. Yes. So <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed the episode with with the Episcopal clergy. Mm-hmm. The reverence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I think also, selfishly, Episcopalians are kind of closer in the in the continuum to Catholicism to what yes. I know. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, it was all really interesting. Should I be a reverend? I don't know. Do you feel called to be a reverend? No. no i don't yeah (laughs) there's there's lots of ways 
to contribute that don't necessarily involve putting yourself that far out there on front right. street. Um, oh, I also really like the episode. I can I can't think of her name off the top of my head because I'm terrible at that these days. Who went across the country to go to school with the, with the poetry instructor? Yes, yeah, love that story. That was Emily on part two, the Truth Seeker. Quite a few of your guests, I, I admire in them that ability to to really feel and commit. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it more that it stoked questions in me. What holds me back from being more that way or yeah. being more open to that? Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily to head down the same path, but yeah, quite a few of the guests had this openness and this commitment that eludes me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was really cool to hear about that. And I, as I would listen, I kind of think I was kind of like, oh, I'd love to hear more about like, and some of that is probably hard to articulate if that's just how you are. Yeah. But yeah, that stuff was really interesting to me. Yeah. I think too, really cool to hear people to kind of talk about the decisions they've made in transitioning and shifting and, um, and you guys did touch on kind of how they came to those decisions. But I always love to hear more about that because yeah. I'm a person that's very indecisive. Yeah. So I love to hear about other people's process for making decisions. Yeah. Because I find it so difficult to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Which probably seems like what? Because I, I am a person who like, I like what I like. You know, there's in some, in some regards seem very decisive, like. Carmelita knows like this is what Carmelita is about. But a lot of times with like life stuff, I'm awful at making decisions. I I'm a, the worst fence sitter. <laughs> I could sit on the fence forever. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't want to make the wrong decision. I right. don't want to fail. I don't want to make a mistake. Right. Very like black and white thinking like it's yeah. success or failure. And I better just sit on this fence until I'm absolutely sure yeah. that the decision I'm making is the right one. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because <laughs> that's not how life works. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I can make decisions, but in general, I'm pretty freaking flexible about like whatever and whenever, like so I try to let people that have opinions about things mm. make those decisions because right. it does, normally doesn't matter to me. The other thing about my decision making is because I grew up in this evangelical culture, it's like God is always like guiding and mm. you're supposed to be like listening to what God wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And that means about everything. Like little mundane things to big life choices, right? And though I think that that is partially true, and I think that God has guided me in things, sometimes I don't think that God necessarily needs to guide me on everything. Mm -hmm. Like he made me the way I am with my passions and interests and skills and abilities and location in the world and all of these things. I can make my own decisions. Right. I don't need to wait around for some like there's a little bit of like mysticism 
to even the idea of like signs. Right. You know, like God's going to like line everything up and suddenly someone's going to call me and tell me. And like, again, some of that I do believe in, but it also can make me just really stagnant and not make a decision because I'm waiting for a sign. Right. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I just went in a big circle. No, but. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it, I haven't it built moves, the skill. It kind of moves in a circle. You know what I mean? Right. And I haven't built the skill to make decisions because I've just been waiting for, I spent so much of my life waiting for what does God want me to do and looking mm. for those things mm-hmm. instead of just like freaking going for it. And then you, you succeed or fail, you hate it, you like it. And then you, I think that's a better way to approach things. Try it. Probably. Yeah. I'm trying to get there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when that will happen. Yeah. But it's uh, it's something I'm aspiring to. I believe in you. <laughs> Thank you, friend. You can do it. I believe in you. Tell us a little bit about how you were raised religiously. Oh, so. Or you can tell us a lot, whatever. <laughs> oh, this, yeah, the saga. Yeah. Oh, it's a saga? The saga. Oh. <laughs> this story has twists and turns. And uh-huh. um, so I was raised Roman Catholic. And something that's way more, I'm way more aware of now than I was as a kid is how much of our religious affiliation was was tied up in our ethnic identity. Right. Coming from a Mexican-American family, all of my relatives are Catholic. Anyone who gets married has a church wedding, funeral mass, all the babies are baptized. Like, identifying as Catholic was all wrapped up with the fact that we are Mexican very much a part of our our ethnic cultural identity totally yeah and it's been interesting as i've explored and read history and learned more how much more aware of that i am today than i was then it was yeah. just kind of a given and we didn't question mm-hmm. and why and how we ended up there, like, it just, I just never occurred to me to ask that question mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a little kid. My immediate family, my parents were not super devout. But, again, because Catholicism was very much tied up with identity, all of those traditions was like, no, like, this is what we do. And so we didn't go to church every Sunday. But there were certain expectations and I went to catechism classes. So catechism is similar to what I think people talk about when they talk about Sunday school. So I think it's probably very similar. It's the courses you take to learn about the beliefs and practices of Catholicism. But there's there's milestones along the way. So you go to, so you're baptized as an infant. They baptize infants. And at your baptism, your godparents affirm your faith for you. The priest asks them all these questions about their faith for you. They're your proxy. So then elementary school, start going to catechism classes. 
And that's to prepare you for your first communion. So you learn in that time period, all this kind of age appropriate stuff about what you believe as Catholics. And then also what it means to receive the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ in your first Holy communion. So then you make it to your first communion and they dress you up in a fun white outfit and the Bishop shows up and I'll, I'll send you a picture of my, of my first communion. I had like this huge princess dress because it had a hoop and everything. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't do nothing. Half measures, nothing. So, um, and then you go back to catechism after your first communion, you continue to go into high school to prepare for your confirmation because that's your confirmation. That's when you commit yourself okay. to all those promises that were made for you at your baptism. You get to answer for yourself as an adult member of the church. So I had my, my first communion. I think I was probably like the third grade as a kid. Prior to my teen years, I definitely, like, if someone asked me, I identify as Catholic as much as I understood what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, I remember being excited for my first communion. I I got blessed by Pope John Paul II. Yes. In 1987. <laughs> I got to skip school and my dad took me to the Carmel Mission. He had tickets to go see the Pope. And Pope John Paul II gave mass and they let all the children and young people line the end of the pew where he was going to walk through. And he went through and touched all our foreheads. <laughs> and I remember being really, I thought that was like the coolest thing. Yeah. Fun fact, he went on to become a saint. So technically speaking, I was blessed by a saint. Yes, you were. <laughs> um, <laughs> looking back now, I'm very aware of the fact that even as a kid, I've always been more of a thinking person than a feeling person. Yeah. I'm more in my head than in my feelings. Yeah. And so even as a child, going to catechism, going to mass, it was all very academic to me. Yeah. I was learning prayers, learning creeds. I was learning stories. And I, and I loved the fact that you could quiz me on the stories. Um, to this day, when my parents have a question about something in the Bible, they call me to answer the question. Yeah. Rather than just go grab a Bible and look it up themselves, they call me because they know that I'm going to know. Right, right. Because that's just the kind of person I am. Yeah. I, I get very in my head and very cerebral and I think about things. Yeah. And I amass knowledge. Mm -hmm. But that also lends itself to doubt and questioning. Sure. Because there's a curiosity. So I'm definitely, I was... I was always a little bit of a doubting Thomas. <laughs> um, but I just, I was really interested in the stories. Yeah. And, and in the music, I, I love like all that old school, like polyphonic church music. Yes. The choirs, the chanting uh -huh. in Latin. I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I was, I was involved and I was immersed to a point looking back on it. Now I can, 
I can see where it was very academic. Mm-hmm. Did your parents integrate that belief system into how they lived or raised you or taught you moral things? Like, did those did those two go together, or was that like a thing you went to? My parents would have to speak for what they believe. I can't speak for what they believe, but <laughs> I, it definitely kind of felt sometimes like <laughs> the threat of damnation would come out. Like when, you know, when you did something wrong and right, they wanted right. to scare us, mm-hmm. you know, that's when that kind of thing would come up. But I, I don't remember a lot of talk about God or, or Jesus just being integrated into everyday things mm-hmm. and we didn't like my parents didn't sit us down to pray on a daily basis mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know like a lot of kids will do like bedtime prayer like we didn't do that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was like prayer happened at mass right right <laughs> prayer happened at your catechism class but no it wasn't integrated in our mm-hmm, household mm-hmm. and you know there's i think the the last statistics i saw was one billion baptized catholics in the world so this is just one story and my family is just one family yes oh, there's a whole i'm sure there's a whole spectrum of not of where all catholics people fall. are the same no <laughs> but i i think there is something about an institution a church as big as the catholic church is and as hierarchical as the catholic church is with that really rigid hierarchy of clergy and then lay people that lends itself to a, it makes it easy to compartmentalize. Right. There, there is a certain amount of distance Mm -hmm. and it's really, it can be easy to go to mass and do the mass thing. And then the rest of the week just kind of live. However. Right. 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 (laughs) Like it, it can be really easy to do that. Right. And not everybody does that, but I mean, I've definitely known my first share <laughs> of, you know, people yeah. who go to mass on Easter and Christmas. Right. Kind of that's how distant it is. Right. Um, and for some people. And would still say, I'm a Catholic. Oh, absolutely. Like, strongly, and identify. You know? Yeah, right. Um, you know, and I, and I think, again, it's for a lot of people, it's wrapped up in ethnic and cultural identity. Yeah. And again, that distance mm-hmm. when you have an institution that's just that big, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, who's going to notice yeah. she didn't come for a month. So, so we had periods in my childhood where we were more involved than others. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely when I was, you know, preparing for the sacrament of first communion or the sacrament of confirmation, we would go every Sunday leading up to it, Yeah, you know, for six months or something. Right. And then it would kind of trail off after that was over. (laughs) I had my confirmation my junior year of high school, like two or three months before I went to rehab. We'll get there. That's one of the the many twists (laughs) in my my journey. Okay, she had her first communion in elementary school, 
a bookish little girl in a big white dress with a hoop skirt. Then it was time for confirmation in high school. We're not exploring Carmelita's entire battle with depression and alcoholism in this episode, but as she said, she hit rehab her junior year. Immediately prior to that, she was preparing for confirmation. Here's a taste of where she was at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. what happened? Catholic, <laughs> Catholic schoolgirls gone bad. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was a drunk. <laughs> I was a drunk. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, I was into all kinds of things. And so... So leading up to confirmation, you know, we had our weekly confirmation classes. Like, you know, it's like an hour or something that you spend with either a nun leading the class or or some very devoted catechism teacher. Okay. You know, but because we had confirmations, the big one, right? You're about to become an adult member of the Catholic Church. You're about to reaffirm all of the things that are in the Nicene Creed. And that you reject Satan and all his works and all his pomps. So they had this confirmation retreat. It was like a week or two before. And we were going to have to spend the entire day with the nuns. That's intense. Like it was like six or eight hours of confirmation stuff at the church we had to do. And... I had been out with the guy I was seeing at the time, like the day before or something, and completely forgotten that my neck was covered in hickeys. And I'm not talking like one or two. No. No, 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 no. (laughs) It looked, no, seriously, this is not hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. It looked like I had been strangled. No. (laughs) My entire neck ring around the rosy all across my neck (laughs) dark purple hickeys it looked like someone had strangled me I forgot about that oh no so I show up to the confirmation retreat (laughs) with all of my fellow with all of my 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 fellow catechism classmates and the nuns <laughs> and the catechism teachers uh-huh. and the priest stopped by for a while. And I think it was on the lunch break. So we'd already been there for like four hours. And we were on the little lunch break that they gave us. And my friend said to me, I can't believe you showed up like that. And I was like, showed up like what? What are you talking about? She's like, your neck. And then I remembered... <laughs> What happened the day before? (laughs) That I was covered in hickeys. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, that's the kind of Catholic girl I was. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that it was very much an intellectual thing became an issue when I hit my teenage years. Mm -hmm. You know, when I when I was a teenager, it was I mean, I was miserable. I was suffering major depression. I was self-medicating with booze and drugs. 
Things at home were awful. My relationship with my parents was really bad. And because of all of the self-destructive things that were going on in my life, you know, I was putting myself in really risky situations with really risky people and it was rough. And I can remember during that time going through periods where I would want to go to mass more often because I was looking for some relief, like some way to feel differently than I felt. And mm-hmm. and then I would go through periods where I didn't want to go to mass because it felt like a waste uh, and because I was angry. You know, that idea that, that God is leading is like, well, if God's leading, then why... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, where are we... <laughs> going right now (laughs) why am i why do i why is it like this yeah like why is my life completely off the rails and then i went through periods where i would go to mass and because mass is very like very structured mass is very much a ritual it's very ritualized and so after the eucharist you go and and kneel and have like a, a quiet reflection or prayer time before they bring everybody back together to conclude the mass. And I would sit and and I would pray that God would take my life so that I wouldn't have to. Because I was, like, I was that in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I... Uh, and there was there was a lot going on. I needed a lot of help, other help. You know, and none of that happened. And so when I when I did finally get the help that I needed, um, in terms of um, going to rehab and and seeing therapists, and um, the way that I I got sober was through twelve step groups. I was, by that point, I was just so angry. I was so angry. And I remember, yeah, I had my confirmation coming up. And I remember telling my mother, like, you can't, you can't make me do this. Like, you realize you're asking me to go up in front of this, in front of the whole church and tell the bishop lies. Yeah. Because I I can't commit to this. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) my poor mother bless her she was like but how will you get married if you don't get confirmed because in her mind like like no like that's how you get married like in a catholic wedding ceremony if you don't get confirmed now how will you ever get married like it was right like in her mind like that's just that's just how it's done yeah so to not take this step like what do you do with the rest of your yeah, life? Right, right. If you miss this crucial. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I went through with it. Uh, and I was, yeah, it was bad. I was like at the bottom. She went through with confirmation for her parents, but she was mad, angry at God for how she was feeling in this life and angry at the church more generally. In the first couple years when I was trying to get sober, at that point, I mean, I was angry, angry, really angry. And 
I was also, it was really easy at that time to really focus on not just the ways that I felt that God or faith hadn't worked in my life, but it was also really, and you know, to being 16, 17 years old, to rail against the institution Mm -hmm. and the authority and the hierarchy of it. Yeah. And the history of the church. Sure. Which is not pretty. You know, so I, I was bitter there for a few years and completely checked out. If you had asked me at that time in my late teens, very early 20s, I would have said I'm not Catholic. Mm-hmm. would have said I don't believe. Um, and I was, like, vicious angry about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 12-step program that was helping me to get sober emphasized the need for spiritual help mm. for alcoholics who don't want to drink again. And that was a kick in the teeth because <laughs> just as I was coming to this place of, I want no part right. of that. Then to hear you're going to need a God or a power greater than yourself, some spiritual something mm-hmm. to help you. And, and that was the thing that kind of left the door cracked. Mm. And at first, you know, I, I looked at, at the groups where I would go to talk about drinking and staying sober as kind of a higher power. Mm-hmm. And then that slowly I kind of opened to the idea of, okay, well maybe there's a creator, some creative energy being whatever. Like, yeah. I, and I kind of slowly started to, to open myself to that possibility. And the longer that I stayed away from booze and the healthier I got in terms of how I was living. And I'm not talking about like diet and sleep. I'm talking about like, just like mindset. And yeah. um, as I got healthier in the way that I was living, as I was starting to, I. I guess I was getting better about avoiding some of the pitfalls of the self-destructive stuff that, Mm -hmm. that I had earlier. I became more and more open to spirituality. And then the crazy thing happened that I, I found that as I was opening myself up to that, that, I missed the ritual mm-hmm. of the mass that I grew up with. And I found that it it was hard for me to, to meditate or pray kind of without, like, yeah, without <laughs> focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that the religion of my childhood had in abundance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. a whole bunch of prayers and um, 
And two, I also, there were aspects of Catholicism that I, I found myself drawn to that made it more accessible to me. As she began opening up to the idea of a higher power, and the sharp bite of anger slowly abated, she found herself drawn to some of the practices of the church. This is going to piss some people off. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm sorry. It is not my intention to offend you. But I'm just saying, Catholicism is just barely not paganism. (laughs) It's just this close. Just barely. (laughs) When I started dabbling again in my Uh mid-20s, mid to late 20s, I was really drawn to prayers to the Virgin Mary the iconography of the Virgin Mary. Yeah. I was really drawn to the lives of the saints. Mm-hmm. And I would look at the calendar of saints every day and see what, what the saints were for the day and read about the saints of the day. Yeah. I found myself really drawn to that. And in the teaching of the church, it's not worship. There's a distinction. But I found that it could be easier for me to connect to God through the aspects of these figures. Yeah. The mother figure. It's easier to talk to her (laughs) than directly to God. Sure. Easier to look at the lives of saints and like the aspects of their practice. However accurate it is or not accurate, (laughs) That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> that can be a little easier than than the thought of emulating Christ. Yeah. Right. Right. There was something a little more tangible feeling about it. Yeah. Something a little more accessible. And because you have this whole bunch of saints, you know, I would find myself drawn to certain saints more than others. Saint Jude. Saint of Lost Causes, Saint Dimpha, the saint of mental illness, Saint Mary Magdalene, who hairdressers and a bunch of other things, but she used to also be a saint of uh, fallen women. I don't think they say that anymore. (laughs) Um, You know, it's like I could connect. I could aspire to certain aspects that those figures represent. Yeah. And that's kind of how it started for me getting back into it. And like the rosary is meditation. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah, That's all it is. That's not the language that's used. How do you do it? In the the rosary. In the church that we call it contemplative prayer. Right. Right. What's contemplation? It's meditation. Totally. So the rosary, it is a set of beads. You have... The tail end, and there are each bead represents a different prayer. And then you go into the decades of the rosary. Okay. Once you get into the loop, you'll have 10 beads. That's 10 Hail Marys. And then there'll be a bead in the middle for a glory bee. And and you go around. And 
the beads are just to help you count right, how right, many right. rosaries you've said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the spaces between tells you when you've finished one decade and you move into the next. Okay. And there's the mysteries of the rosary. What's that mean? So they are the joyful mysteries, the sorrowful mysteries, the glorious mysteries. And I believe under Pope John Paul II, they came up with the luminous mysteries mm. so that there wouldn't be like uneven number of days because every day is a different like you know one day is the joyful mysteries and so each of the mysteries is some event in the life of christ okay and the virgin mary is incorporated in there too okay you know so like the sorrowful mysteries includes are those your favorite oh i love the sorrowful (laughs) mysteries you know me i also am a big fan of the glorious mysteries it's a lot of ascensions. Uh-huh. Jesus ascending. Yeah. Virgin Mary ascending. That's actually the tattoo on my chest has oh, 12 stars. Okay. Because the ascension of the Virgin Mary, she's always pictured with 12 stars. Oh, fun. And so it's like you say a mystery, you say one of the mysteries. Okay. And then you say your decade of Hail Marys. Mm-hmm. And then you meditate on the next mystery. And you say another 10 Hail Mary. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's, it becomes like a chant. Right, right. It's just meditation is all it is. Yeah. You know, so things like that, that I found I could tap into the ritual of it. I find over the years, that's probably the the very thing that turns some people off is actually the thing that I connect to the most. Right. (laughs) This is the other thing that I've, I've come to accept about myself and I think it's part of what makes me able to participate with it in in any way, shape or form is that I've come to accept the contradictions. (laughs) I've come to accept the contradictions within myself. I am that person that is skeptical and likes to ask questions and likes to go against the grain and be defiant and bucks authority. Like I am that person. And in equal measures, I am the person who loves and thrives on ritual and tradition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that works for me. It helps me to get into the mindset of, Kind of clearing my head and finding a moment of peace. Right. The fact that the prayers are like very laid out. It's like I don't have to think about what I'm going to say. Totally. The words are right there. Yeah. Um, One thing I have done to challenge myself. In the last couple years, I've started to try to learn like the basic prayers in Latin. Yeah. Because I actually kind of like it. Yeah. Which is really kind of hilarious because I don't know how much you know about the history of the Catholic church, Catholic practice, but once upon a time mass was said in Latin and only priests can say the mass. That's still true. You know, so the priest would say the la- the mass in Latin and back in the day they didn't even face the congregation. <gasps> oh my gosh. They faced the altar and led prayer that way. And all in Latin. Right. And all the church songs were in Latin. 
And then the Vatican II Council of the 60s was where the church sought to update and modernize. Uh, And one of the changes that was made in the mid-60s within Catholic practice was to allow the congregations all over the world to start giving mass in the local languages. Right. Yes. (laughs) Good job. It happened in the 60s. (laughs) Yeah. You're bringing it back. I I actually really like it. Yeah. There's a church. There's a Catholic church here in Oakland that offers the Latin mass. Oh, my gosh. They also have mass in English, and I think they might have a mass in Spanish as Uh well. But they, they have a Latin mass. It's really cool. Did you go? I did, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's really cool. Um, I think what I like about it is, again, it sounds very meditative. Yeah. The flow of it. I I recognize just enough words in Latin that I kind of know what's going on. But that doesn't even matter because I, for me, the thing that I'm trying to tap into is the feeling. Hmm. And being a person that's very much in my head, it almost helps me. Because, like, when I go to regular mass, I know what he's going to say. Right. <laughs> and in my head, I'm, like, reciting it to myself. Right. And I'm very much in my head. And something about when I hear the prayers in Latin, I feel it in a different way. And I find that I'm not thinking about it. So does it almost, like turn your brain off kind of or like quiets yes maybe quiets other thoughts and- yeah the way she came back to catholic practices with full understanding of why she was doing it allowed her the freedom to consciously choose what aspects she wanted. One of the benefits of having stepped away and coming, deciding to come back to faith on my own terms because it was really about my need, my personal need to connect to something spiritually as part of how I take care of myself. Um, because I found that I, I needed something like that to deal with my alcoholism and all of these really like life and death things, like having some kind of spirituality became a life and death thing for me. So I had to find a way to do it that would satisfy that need and be something I could be comfortable practicing. But the truth about my life is that some of those things fit better than others. Mm-hmm. And I, I've i come to a place in my life of giving myself permission to, to take what I can yeah. to enhance my connection with God and not get hung up on the aspects that cut me off because right. I don't need, I, I, I'm trying to connect. I'm, I I need to I need to be able to let myself off the hook from the things that would 
sever that connection for right. me. Yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate, I appreciate that. I think that, I think that's a place that you have to come. I, mm. <laughs> how do I put this? For me, that has brought me a lot of spiritual freedom mm. to be able to say, there are things that I can accept that I want to accept that are beneficial for me. And there are things that are not, and I don't have to, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing situation. Mm -hmm. Take what you want and leave the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Which works for me. Maybe that doesn't work for everybody. Right. Right. Maybe they have to walk away or they have to accept all of it. But and for that's me, fine. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's yeah. fine. Do your thing. Yeah. Um, Again, I think knowing about myself that I I need something spiritual in my life. I, I yeah, I had to give myself permission because I knew I couldn't yeah, there are some aspects that I am not okay with <laughs> or just don't they don't connect me spiritually and and trying to force that is only going to put me back for me yeah in that place of not of being angry and not being able to participate right right and flip side is that I I'm also I've also found that I can't completely shut off <laughs> that part of my of my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, not everyone likes to hear this. You know, I, I think it's part of, I think it's part of our humanity that, that longing for purpose, that mm -hmm. longing for meaning, that longing for connection, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of on that, that next level beyond the physical. Right. Right. Beyond eating and sleeping and sex and like mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. beyond like our just real basic animal instincts. <laughs> right. Right. I feel like as humans, we need more and people find that in all different ways. And for some folks, it isn't through religious practice. Yeah. Um, there's lots of ways people find that. I'm also a person who needs to connect to that in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. Like when I was a teenager, I, I got into body modification. Right. And, and, and it isn't for everyone a spiritual thing. Um, and it isn't even always for me a spiritual thing, but there is something about, like it is possible to enter like altered states when you're in pain, yeah. when you push your body. And there's lots of different things like that. Meditation, again, like lots of ways to meditate, lots of different practices around the world for that altered state of consciousness. Yeah. Um, I found that some of those Catholic practices that I learned as a kid, coming back to them now, with more of an understanding of what I'm trying to achieve, that I have that shift in consciousness, which is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And that's just mm -hmm. one of the ways that I get there. Yeah.
though she might feel more comfortable now identifying as Catholic or perhaps admit to practicing folk Catholicism, she definitely doesn't agree with all the teachings of the church. And the history of the church is a heavy weight, one she thinks is important to acknowledge, but she doesn't personally need to carry. And I think having gotten away from practicing and having gone through that period of being so pissed off and so anti Mm -hmm. that coming back in any way, shape or form as loosey goosey as I am about it as because at this point I kind of consider myself as practicing folk Catholicism, but I, I did kind of have to question myself, like how involved do you want to be? Yeah. On what level do you want to participate in the institution? Yes. And that's, you know, that's a question that I, I continue to check in with myself about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much do I want to participate? How comfortable am I participating in the, the community aspect of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you have an institution that's been around this long, and is this huge and change moves at a snail's pace? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, there's aspects that I'll probably never, I, I hope that I never accept because mm. I don't think they're right. Um, a lot of the social teachings mm-hmm. I don't agree with. Yeah. I don't agree with the church's stance on birth control. Like, how is that still a thing? Still a thing. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know a little secret. I mean, I started using birth control at 15. <laughs> <laughs> and the church's official stance was never going to prevent me from doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I, I don't agree with the church's stance on abortion. I don't agree with the church's stance on homosexuality and gender you know so there's definitely there's definitely aspects that I'll just never be able to accept and I think I've had to again those contradictions I can appreciate or some of what religious practice brings in terms of um, charity and um, and I can also really disagree yes, (laughs) with practices that, I mean, I'll say it, I think are backward. Right, right, right. Um, There's a heavy weight, the history of the church. Yes. That can be, mm, it looms large. Hey, I'll say this too, because everyone's thinking it. So you might as well just say it. (laughs) You know, the, the history, the church's history with covering up abuse. Yeah. Like I, that, that rocked a lot of people's faith like that. Well, it, it's sh- both it shook a so lot of people up. terrible yes. and also recent. You know, I feel like there's a lot of things we can be like, oh, well, that was back in. Right, you right, know? right, 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 right. So Centuries ago. ago. This is like, no, yesterday. Right. You know, so you're yeah. forced to look at it. Yeah. And that's, and that's uncomfortable. 
I guess I, I have to always remember for me that the church, the institutions is people, right? They're just people. And, mm-hmm. and I think that was something too, that I don't know if I would have got to it if I hadn't gone to the point of being so angry and completely walked away. When I was a kid, like we looked at priests, nuns, the bishop, you thought of the cardinal, you thought of the pope as these like holy beings. Right, right, right. I remember when I was a kid, like the first time I saw a priest drive a car. Right. Or right. a nun walking down the street. Yeah. Going to a store. The nuns go to the store. Like in my mind, they were completely separate from us. Right, right, right. They were right. these holy people who represent God on earth. Yeah, yeah. It had not occurred to me that really they're just people. Totally. Who for a variety of reasons have have taken up the vocation and that they're just people. Yeah. And I think coming to see that and really know that yeah. and the fullness of what that means. Correct. I don't know that I could have got there without that taking that break. Right, right. I think the biggest betrayal, I think the most difficult part about that is because it's this massive institution. Right. With all this bureaucracy and hierarchy, the institution covering up, sweeping under the rug, moving things around to conceal this scandal. Yeah. That becomes the part that's the hardest to swallow because yes, I mean, those types of abuses can happen in schools, can happen Mm -hmm. in after school clubs, can happen in any church. It can happen in gymnastics. It happens all over the place. Um, But that level of cover up is the kind of thing that happens when you have this global organization with that much institution behind it and and there's money and there's politics and anytime Mm -hmm. you throw money and politics into the mix it's messy (sighs) Carmelita is curious and she's a reader The Catholic Church has a lot of texts to dig into. Not just the Bible, but all the other writings. The Catechism of the Church. Longtime theologians and doctors of the Church. All the saints. She sought out to learn more about the teachings and the history. So she's got a lot she can share with us. But since she brought up how Catholicism is really integrated into her cultural heritage, I asked her to share what she knows about that history. This is another one of those places where there's a tension and there's contradictions. So being of Mexican descent, I mean, I, who knows? I've had my ancestry done. So I now know that I am mostly Spanish, about 60%. I'm only a quarter Native American. Okay. Prior to having my ancestry done and who knows how accurate it is anyway. I knew that I was of mixed heritage, 
the indigenous peoples of the Americas and the Spaniards that came over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Catholic Church played a big part in the colonization of the Americas. Mm-hmm. And that's another one of those painful, difficult parts of the history of the church. Yeah. The very prominent role they played in the colonization of the Americas and what that meant for the destruction mm-hmm. of the indigenous communities right. <laughs> in Central and South America. Yeah. Like I'm a direct descendant of that really ugly, painful part of history. Yeah. And now knowing on some level how much of my heritage is the colonizer versus the colonized. I'm both of those things. And, you know, they brought, the conquistadores brought the priests and they set up the missions and and everybody in the Americas was going to be Catholic come hell or high water. And, And they built the institutions on both sides of what is now the border, which at that time it was all New Spain and eventually Mexico. For some people in Mexico or who are, who are closer to the indigenous roots mm-hmm. of our culture, it's very syncretic religion. Catholicism, along with aspects of Native American religion or, or folk religion. Right. And you hear a lot about the syncretic religions of, of the Americas and the Caribbeans. Think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. voodoo or hoodoo. You know, these mixtures of Catholicism with the religions brought over through slavery from West Africa. The religions of indigenous peoples of Central and South America. And we think about that blending of those two things, Catholicism and these people who were colonized and oppressed, hanging on to their own beliefs and then kind of mixing the two. Right. But I think what's interesting when you go further back in the history of the church, uh, I mean, the whole thing, (laughs) the whole thing, as soon as Christianity started to move through the Roman Empire, there's ways in which it mingles and borrows and absorbs practices of peoples all throughout what's now Europe. Yeah. I recently read this book about Roman religion, pre-Christian Roman religion, Uh and how religious institutions in the Roman Empire built. And what was really interesting is like, as I'm reading about it, there's so many parallels to how Roman Catholicism Uh is structured. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And to see that through line of how religion in the Roman Empire, which is way back, started to develop. And then once Christianity was accepted and then adopted in the Roman Empire as the religion, how that structure kind of morphed and parallels what they had before and just absorbed Christianity. Right, right. And then how it continued as 
it spread to take up and try to assimilate and convert people through kind of this melding of their practices from their native religions right. and then like throw some Christ on it. Like, right. So <laughs> right. It's just really fascinating. Yeah. That kind of continuum. Yeah. And so, you know, as a kid, I was aware that there were, there were like curanderas who would have these, you know, herbal remedies and all these practices that are very kind of rooted in the indigenous religions of the Americas, but also light saint candles and pray to Jesus and do those two things. And I always kind of thought of it as very much about that colonization, but I'm just seeing one of the more recent points in history where that happened, but it goes all the way back. Right, right, right. It's kind of a trip. Yeah, it's kind of tripping me out right now. To actually. situate yourself <laughs> in, in one that. one point in time, one location right. in the world. Yeah. Carmelita likes the whole vibe of the Catholic Church. <laughs> but we were talking, and she was saying, oh, Catholicism always struck her as kind of morbid. <laughs> <laughs> And like kind of gloomy, like kind of morose. Right, right. I mean, I definitely think it kind of is. But <laughs> and that's what you love about but it. But that's what I love about it. No, really. Well, I mean, especially if you compare it to like the Protestantism I grew up in, right? Which is all, you know, if we were to compare them, like mine's all pastel and people are like, woo, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> The Catholic side, it's like dark, and there's one flickering candle, oh, and yeah. someone's like silent, like this. And they've and they've got the sensor <laughs> yes. that they're swinging, so that the like the uh-huh. incense is right. going, mm-hmm. and there's like candles, mm-hmm. and like all the music is in a minor scale. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> all of the imagery. Yeah, I mean, even just look at the crucifix. Well, yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, like I didn't realize that other Christian denominations didn't use the crucifix. Right. And you have like the full blood dripping. Yes. Whole yes deal. No, it's just Jesus is on there <laughs> on the cross. Yeah. There's wool, lo- all the wounds. Loin, They're all there. Cloth. <laughs> yes. I didn't realize that that was a Catholic thing. Yeah. Yeah, we just do the cross. There's yeah. no like bo- bleeding body on no, it. No, no, he's on there. <laughs> oh yeah. In in the do you guys have this stations of the cross? No. Mm-mm. Oh, so yeah, we got stations of the cross. Yeah. So the crucifixion is represented in art in the church, right? Like all the way around the yes. room, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. You can follow the path. To the crucifixion in the artwork on the wall. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Monopoly situation. Yeah. 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 Stations of the Cross. Right. I, and I feel like I only know that because I went to Italy and we, of course, mm. toured like 1,000 <laughs> Catholic churches, which were gorgeous. <laughs> okay. I tried to make Carmelita play a rapid fire beliefs game. She's a fence sitter, so this was tough for her. But here we go. Let's talk afterlife and weird spiritual beings. 
rapid fire beliefs. Okay. Do you believe in angels? Uh, no, no. You're no fun. Do you believe in demons? No. Do you believe in... I mean, I kind of want to believe. <laughs> I love religious horror. It's my favorite. Oh. Yeah, Catholics are really good at that. They've got all the stories. Oh, yeah. The Exorcist, right. my favorite horror movie. See, if there's no demons, then there's no exorcist. I know. It's no fun. I know. Do you believe in ghosts? Um, I don't think so. Okay, I'm gonna say this. Okay, I I'm a great I'm great at sitting on the fence. This is, I mean, this is what I do. Right, like the most. But that, that's why the game has it's to move rapid it's fire. Most, it's the most comfortable seat in the house <laughs> on the fence. I <laughs> there are a lot of things about the cosmos, the universe that we don't understand. I understand everything. So about the cosmos, could there be spirit or energy that's left that's residual from people of the past? Maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there is, I have not perceived it. No, no ghost interactions for you. I'm like surprised. Yeah, I know. You seem like someone with like a, a lot of disappointing, stories right? about ghosts. It's yeah. a little disappointing. Yeah. Why do we even hang out? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about, okay. So then afterlife in general, are you a little on the fence about that? Or you think something happens after you die? I think something happens after we die. I'm not too hung up on thinking about it though. I'm kind of more about like, I need to live right, right now, right yeah. here. And whatever comes, whatever happens, is fine. And I'll get there when I get there. I'm not mm-hmm. too worried about it. I think, you know, when I was when I was a kid, I was <laughs> I always thought a lot more about hell than I did about heaven. The concept, oh, yeah. of hell, right? And uh, and in some ways, it kind of saved my life. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, because historically, there was the teaching that suicide is a mortal sin. Right. And suicides can't get into heaven. Someone who commits suicide can't get into heaven. Um, I believe the church has has gotten more nuanced mm-hmm. as they've come to recognize that suicide mm-hmm. can come about from mental illness and, right. you know, mood disorders and it that it's not like... It's not a moral failure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So... But I mean, when I was growing up, like that was still kind of like the conventional Catholic wisdom, right? Like, even if that wasn't the official teaching coming from the top. So, so when I was at my lowest and I was just like really off the rails and really sick, I mean, so depressed and suicidal and just really bad off, um, like I had written suicide notes. Like I was serious. Oh my gosh. Like blade to my arm was was just trying to get up the guts to apply enough pressure. Like running the knife up and down my arm, just trying to work up to to like do it for real. Um, but one of the things that I was scared about 
first of all, that, that I wouldn't do it right. <laughs> I'd still be alive. Um, and second was that at that point, I wasn't sure what I believed anymore. Um, but if what the nuns had told me was true and I committed suicide and I was not going to be able to get out of purgatory or I was going to go to hell, like that didn't sound like I was going to be better off. And the whole right. point of ending my life was I was looking to end my suffering. Right. So it definitely like it put some fear in me like, man, I don't know if I believe it, but if they were right then I'm just signing up for an eternity of this. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it gave me pause. And then I got help. So the story has a happy ending. Okay. But, you know, I, I will say from that experience of illness and pain and addiction and just how far down the spiral I went at that point in my life I've kind of come to see hell is is suffering it's not like a, I don't envision it as a place and and I've had that kind of suffering on earth <laughs> you know what I mean and I know and I know from talking to other people who have had trauma or really extreme pain in this lifetime that it was like a living hell and so I kind of more, I don't really think about hell as a place anymore. And because I don't really think of hell as a physical place, <laughs> I kind of, I think about the hereafter, whatever that is, in kind of a more loosey-goosey, conceptual way than like a concrete place in the universe, you know? Totally. I mean, I feel like the ideas of heaven and hell that traditional Christian teaching, whatever that would be, envision if there is an afterlife, those ideas are so like earth-based yes. in our own like little boxes of how we understand the world. There's no way it's going to be like either one of those ideas. Right. Right? Like yeah. those, that's what we created with our little yes. earth Box our minds. very limited yes. perception and reasoning. Right. Yeah. 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 Can you think of one time in your life where you have felt the presence of God? Mm. Yeah, I kind of think so. It's become about, about a feeling. And there have been times where, like in a chaotic situation and then like having a, like a feeling of calm mm -hmm. that doesn't feel congruent with the chaos mm -hmm. around, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Little things like that. She's come so far, done a lot of reflecting on what she learned growing up, what was a roadblock for her, and what having God in her life really means. 
you, know, you, you and I were talking earlier about, you know, this idea that God is this omnipotent being, uh, you know, giving signs and leading the way. And um, that definitely was something that was a struggle. That concept. When I was younger and kind of in like the darkest period, you know, that was a reason to turn my back because right. I was waiting for <laughs> I was waiting for an answer or yeah. or a miracle or whatever. Um, it's kind of funny when I when I first got sober and people would talk about like this need to you know, connect with some kind of higher power or God or spirituality. And, and I used to joke about, <laughs> I used to joke about having been blessed by a Pope and look what good, look how good it turned out, you know, that I landed in rehab and they're like, but you landed in rehab and kind of in conversations like that with people that weren't centered on any specific belief or religion, but yeah. just other people who had similar challenges and struggles as I had in us talking about belief in us talking about faith and us talking about God or the spiritual and leaving the religious part of it out of it, but just kind of those philosophical or theological questions yeah. in our really like whatever over coffee kind of way. Um, a shift in thinking about what having God in my life looks like and what that means. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I was a kid, there was a lot of, put a lot of emphasis on the hereafter. Um, and for Catholics, there's the whole idea of like, there's hell and then there's purgatory. Right. And then there's heaven. So like you got yeah. <laughs> the three tier system, you know, a lot of emphasis on that. Yeah. And a lot of thought about like rewards. Right. Kind of like reward thinking. Yeah. Um, and I think with everything that I've been through and everything I've, all you know, all of the information that I've sought out and reading history and all of these things kind of coming to a place of I'm less concerned with what God can give me and kind of shedding expectations. Hmm. It's more about how that connection feels. Mm-hmm what it does for my mindset rather than my material circumstances. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's more about peace than it is about happiness or joy. I mean, happiness and joy is great, but, but I'm more seeking peace and peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And I can have, I can, I can get to that place now, even if, my circumstances 
are not what I wanted. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 That's, that's been a shift. Yeah. That's yeah. happened for me in kind of having a new relationship to it. When you're a kid in the church, you do it because that's what you do. Not a whole lot of explanation about why. Right, right. Or even like, okay, to have a relationship with God. Okay, but why? Yeah. What is the purpose of seeking that out? Then we have a bunch of hardships in our lives. And I I think in this meandering journey, um, the waxing and waning of my belief as a teenager, my complete, like, cutting myself off from it. Then maybe we start to understand our own whys. And then slowly coming back to certain practices has been about getting really clear with myself about what is it I'm looking for here. Right, yeah. What do you want? What's yeah. the purpose? Yeah. Yeah. That's and then how important. do you get what you want out of it? Exactly. Yeah. Her purpose is to connect, to find peace of mind in the here and now. But perhaps we each have our own whys and definitely our own hows. And religious practices that have been interwoven from our ancestors may hold wisdom for us. So Carmelita enjoys lighting the saint candles in her home and praying the rosary. And she enjoys body modification and attending mass in a language she doesn't understand. In the picking and choosing what works for us, we add our own threads to that long tapestry of humanity's spiritual pursuits. <laughs>